Hello, and welcome to another episode of Media Literate, a collaborative podcast that answers the toughest questions about cinema. Like, are you really cooler if you've seen The Lighthouse or Uncut Gems? Or are you just as basic as the rest of us? Today's topic is independent film. Hosts Anne, Ziwei, and Daniela discuss what exactly independent film is and what it means to be an independent filmmaker, not just in Hollywood, but in the Chinese cinema context as well. Also, we really need to talk about Kevin, so stick around for that. Welcome to another episode of Media Literate, where a bunch of us uh, grad students just talk about media and stuff. Uh, and I'm Anne. You've seen, heard me on the show before. And uh, today I'm here with Ziwei. Hi, I'm Ziwei. And Daniela. Hi, I'm Daniela. You might remember me from previous podcast episodes, such as the Sopranos one. And that's <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves a little bit? Okay. Um, yeah. So it's my first time being here, and I'm very excited. Um, I'm a first-year uh, master student in cinema media studies at University of Southern California, yeah. and my research interest focuses on um, Ch- Chinese film and media, media mm-hmm. and environment, urban spaces, etc. So I'm very excited. Nice, Daniela. Um, so um, again, I'm Daniela. I'm a first-year MA. Uh, my research interests include anti-blackness in um, Mexican and uh, immigrant communities, American immigrant communities, mm-hmm. in the U- immigrant communities in the U.S. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, as well as uh, food media. Um, I love it. And yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, you guys kind of know me from my previous episodes i have a similar interest as ziwei i'm doing mostly east asian chinese film studies as well as early film preservation and stuff but today we're here today to talk about independent cinema in general but also in the specifically in the chinese context and a like a similar comparison in the u.s context so as we start all of our episodes on this show we started with a buzzfeed quiz so Today, the quiz we did, and everybody did this, is, um, is called Cast a Independent Film, and we'll give you an A24 uh, film to watch. So let's share our answers here. I, I can go first. Does anybody want to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So I got, and kind of unsurprisingly, because it's one of the films that I haven't watched, uh, is Miss Summer. I got Miss Summer. Uh, and it says in the tiny box underneath it, it says the reason is Florence Pugh. That's it. That's the reason. You got Miss Summer. I got Miss Summer. But what, what did you get, uh, Daniela or Zoe? Oh, uh, I got Moonlight. Um, and it says, if you haven't seen this, what are you doing? I feel like whoever did this quiz is just like being real lazy and is giving a one-liner. I know, um, right? It makes sense that I got Moonlight. I'm not surprised by this at all, considering my mm-hmm. research interests. I love it. Yeah, um, I got I got Moonlight as well, so so it's nice. not surprising at all. I was expecting some other choices. I actually done it twice um, for the second time, so I was I was just boring and doing it for the second time, <laughs> and I got Midsummer. Nice as well. So I think we all have the similar. Similar, right we probably yeah. cast the same person as, you know, yeah. the lead and the, the protagonist, the antagonist. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is one of the lazier BuzzFeed quiz I've seen, to be honest. The other ones, they have like a blurb that goes with your personality or anything. But, mm-hmm. you know, we got, we got films and they're all indie films, which leads us to our topic today. Um, how do you really define independent film? Here they are like, in the quiz at least, they're like, oh, A24, that's like a signature or a flagship independent studio. So that's what we'll give you in the film that we'll suggest you to watch. But we would like to start with, you know, on the more academic side, a definition of independent film in general. And I know Daniela has the wonderful book that's the Oxford, <laughs> Oxford Dictionary of Film Studies. Do you want to read the... Um, definition of independent film? 
Yes, so Oxford Dictionary defines independent cinema as any type of filmmaking that takes place outside the mainstream commercial film industry. Uh, films or filmmaking practices that claim a degree of autonomy in relation variously to industrial practices, filmmaking conventions, or political context, where there exists a large and powerful commercial film industry, as in the U.S., Independence is commonly defined simply as every filmmaking institution and or body of work produced outside the mainstream. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really comprehensive and also very general definition of independent film. But today we're going to try to complicate that definition because not only we're talking about um, independent film and specifically in the Chinese context, but also I feel like even in the U.S. context, there's a lot of factors that can you know, that we can talk about that actually really much complicates the definition of independent film. And I don't think I personally have a perfect definition of independent film as of this moment. So, um, so I guess we can start with um, kind of how do we define independent differently in different cultures? Like, for example, is it is independent cinema Amateur filmmaking, like how do you define between amateur or tourists? I'm mostly thinking how, you know, a lot of the um, subculture like practices and like people who are not necessarily professional filmmakers, especially in the, like the Chinese context. There are a lot of filmmakers that, um, for example, you know, like Hu Jie, who is a documentary filmmaker that's not, he really didn't get any like film school trainings and stuff, but he was just doing, this on his own so I mean me personally I would consider him an independent filmmaker because his stuff it's definitely not mainstream and a lot of topic is um, not very much talked about and his practices are not necessarily like conform with the mainstream style mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I mean when, when we think about independent cinema right now there are just especially in the Chinese context we are just thinking about a lot of different aspects. For example, um, when, we, when we see independent cinema, a lot of these filmmakers are being canonicized and being um, recognized even by the state. For example, mm -hmm. when you talk about um, Hu Jie, Hu Jie is probably to a lesser extent, um, but mm -hmm. he is very much recognized, um, especially in the inter international film circuit as a independent documentary filmmaker. But um, I was thinking about um, for example, like Jia Zhangke, Lou mm -hmm. Ye, and those directors who mainly worked in independent um, fictional filmmaking, the so-called independent fi fictional filmmaking, and later um, got to be recognized as, um, I guess, tourist, um, tour directors, mm -hmm. and um, also worked with the commercial um, and even state um, indust industry to a certain extent. Um, for example, um, Lou Ye's more recent works such as um, Saturday Fiction or something. And, yeah, um, I think, yeah, that's the name. Yeah, and these films are, um, to a certain extent, has, um, you know, those um, big name actor actors and actresses involved with mm. um, relatively huge um, budget and get promoted and being shown on the mainstream um, theater. So I think, so when you think about these lines between, um, Utorist, and especially between Utorist amateur be, um, and independence versus official, these boundaries mm -hmm. are kind of um, blurred to a certain extent. Definitely. Absolutely. That kind of prompted me to think of another like question that also is mentioned in Daniela's definition is like, how would you, how we even define official or like unofficial? Because mm -hmm. especially in the U.S. context, there's not a lot of well, there are definitely films that are made by, you know, student filmmakers or other like really just like amateur filmmakers that doesn't get theater released. But when we think of like independent film in the U.S. context is mostly like, you know, eight to four and stuff that already get a theater release. Right. And then mm -hmm. but like with a smaller budget or like a topic that's not very mainstream. But in the Chinese context, a lot of the things that like are deemed or like are held as like in the film circle as the Bible or the epitome of independent Chinese film are not never really got released in China. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like the official and unofficial term are like hugely different in like the U.S. and the Chinese context. 
And so I, I just want to, you know, talk about, hear you guys talk about the, I guess, your top, your thinking on the official or the unofficial, which interests me a lot. Well, something that Ziwei said that really got me thinking was, um, oh my God, what did Ziwei say? But I was starting <laughs> to think about like, um, historically, you know, what gets considered um, independent cinema and stuff. And I was trying to think like, because I'm the uh, kind of, I'm the odd one out pretty much in this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, I'm not Chinese, I'm Mexican, but I grew up in America, like born and raised, ride or die. Mostly die. Danila. And I was trying to rack my brain thinking like, um, you know, what, what, oh, you know, because I think Zero was saying that in, in China, independent auteur, independent uh, cinema filmmakers become like auteurs are seen like as the epitome and like are held to such high esteem mm. as opposed to the U.S. I couldn't really think of any except for um, like the early works of Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. And I don't know if this is just me, but like the only auteur or the only uh, directors that started as independent filmmakers that I could think of were all men, including Robert Rodriguez. But mm-hmm. something I wanted to bring up with Robert Rodriguez too is that like some of his earlier work is considered kind of guerrilla filmmaking because he was just like literally throwing himself with this camera around, which is really cool. Same with Roger Corman, but he stayed um, independent. And then again, another, uh, but Roger Corman isn't really that well known, even though mm. he was like truly an independent yeah. auteur and he got a lot of, um, uh, directors such as Martin Scorsese, their start. Um, Spike Lee was another independent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. think of any women. I'm really ashamed. No, no, that's that's the problem with the f- whole film industry. Is not. <laughs> yeah, it's not your problem. It's not none of us's problem. But it's the mm-hmm. whole film industry needs to change. That's the same problem in China too. There's not really not a lot of female directors, especially getting, you know, recognized. Um, but that kind of sparked me to think another aspect of this is how, like, how how much do, like, we consider a director independent? Do we think that he or she or they are uh, out of the institution? They're solely working on their own and doing their own budget and trying to, like, get money for their, from their own means. or Or are there independent films that are produced by, you know, huge companies and get the like nice indie director but the money is still from the huge companies like how do we balance that and negotiate that like it's very hard honestly and very different in the Chinese context as well there are definitely much more gorilla um and uh under the under the radar filmmaking in in China for independent films for sure so I think there are some sort of overlaps and similarities between U.S. and Chinese independent films in that regard, especially um, with the relationship um, to independent and official. Mm. Um, For instance, when we think about um, Quentin Tarantino, he, of course, he starts with um, more small budget and properly independent filmmaking, such as like Reservoir Dogs, pop fiction, right? These are um, mm-hmm. working kind of with, with a small budget, but then mm-hmm. his most recent work, Once Upon a Time oh. in Hollywood, right? <laughs> it's like- We're making a, a face. <laughs> yeah, and you have that feeling of looking back at the um, glorious time of Hollywood, and especially mm-hmm. as an, in, like coming from that supposedly independent background, he's looking back at the history of Hollywood, mm. which is kind of an interesting relationship between independent and um, supposedly being commercial and also yeah. returning back to the concept of what is official in the U.S. right because there is not such thing as an official or kind of state ideology as as explicit as in China mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. in, in China you have that um, socialist ideology or in the post-socialist period you, mm. you have that legacies of socialism still um, lingering or remaining to a certain extent but in the u.s it's more about the bu- the budgetary or the, the the commercial and about the studios right for example that all those um independent film um studios 
are actually coming from those um, large studios, as Andy just said, because mm. they're pouring money into those um, smaller subsidiaries of um, large commercial studios, like like 20, 20th Century Fox, you have um, the Fox Searchlight, with Sony, you have um, Sony Picture Classics, mm -hmm. and, and for example, those are the instances where um, in the, the boundary between independent and official again are being blurred yeah very very much so and and the fact that like independent film it's becoming since you know the rise of a24 and you know searchlight class sony classics it's becoming a a way to make capital as well like indie mm -hmm. indie film are like you know a branch of a lot of big studios invest in this branch of indie filmmaking simply because it will get them into you know a the denomination of the acad acad academy award awards there we go uh and and they will get them like more attention from the both academic side and then commercial side because right now there is a booming commercialization of independent film and theater even you know amc is doing like amc art films like mm -hmm. they will label it as like an art film and stuff and then put it on the schedule and people who i guess are interested in this aspect of like watching our films and stuff will, you know, like gate like gauge towards or like gear towards this kind of like programming in the theater. So it's it's very interesting because like things are much more capitalized than I guess a lot of people would like it to be for independent film. So it's it's just definitely very interesting. And on the contrary, you know, on the Chinese side, there are a lot of like independent film that we call independent film are not even ever going to make it to the theater. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my, I guess my, like my take on the difference between the two, mm -hmm. but yeah, kind of. But, but yeah, just yeah. to the point again, um, about the Chinese context, I actually got a quote um, when it was talking about the Chinese independent documentary movement. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a quote from Liu Xinyu who um, was like, a very prominent scholar in documentary, Chinese documentary studies mm. in a sense. Um, so I got her quote saying that from the beginning, from the very beginning, there was less of an opposition between the new documentary movement and the official television system and a more a, ser a series of overlaps and interactions where the liveliest and the most creative documentary making happened alongside experiments within the television system. Mm. So I think um, it was kind of um, so she was referring to the context in the 80s when um, the new Chinese independent documentary filmmaking was rising and very interestingly mostly coming from the the studios or not the studios but the television system uh, from in, from the state system itself so I think mm. that again um, the the boundary is blurred so I think it's a very interesting yeah phenomenon. yeah TV definitely also complicates a lot of stuff like TV mm -hmm. as a medium since Daniela and I are in a TV theory class this year. It's very interesting how to think of how that complicates the relationship between film and TV. But yeah, it's television in general in the Chinese context is a very complicated, but also very interesting thing to look at. And that, that's a really good quote. Um, I was also going to kind of point us to a direction that's like, very interesting, but also like somewhat controversial, because I think, you know, from a perspective of being, you know, Chinese and the international student study in the U.S., both me and Siwei, I feel like personally, uh, the Western view of like independent cinema, especially from Asia and from China, from countries that has like very like established official, let's say, image of like a post-socialist country has a propaganda and has a core value that they have to promote in their media in the Western context. <clears throat> a lot of people see like Chinese independent film as something that has to be anti-governmental or like anti like official status, like anything that like conform with or like say something good about like the government or anything is deemed like, let's say communist or like just in general, <laughs> not, not a thing that should be valued, which I think is a interesting perspective and I don't really necessarily agree with it you know so I know I see Z-Way is nodding so <laughs> yeah I don't agree with a lot of American values <laughs> that, that's a consensus <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> but no, I was just saying it's really interesting. I it definitely also has something to do with the you know the rise of digital media and internet like wall firewalls in the mm-hmm. in the digital age. There's not enough um, Chinese contacts and Chinese like practices that got introduced in the West. So the image is always a little distorted. Um, in some ways and people's people's understanding of it also always often come from official america media quote unquote official mm-hmm. america mm-hmm. media so it's very interesting how, how the films that the western in the western context are uh, like you know the west deemed it valuable as an independent chinese film are always let's say for example you know uh some early films that you know criticize a lot of the economic um progression and like economic like situation in China in the 90s those are the films that are deemed like oh those are Chinese independent films because they're exposing the governmental problems and they're exposing how terrible people are living their lives um so that's interesting and those are still deemed one of the you know good and like nice independent Chinese film instead of you know looking at more recent ones and more complex ones. Not not to say like Jianke has done anything less than complex. He's I love him. He's a very good director. So <laughs> but yeah. I have a question. Yeah. So you'll probably take this up and like excuse my ignorance, but how how would you differentiate independent cinema from mainland China to like Hong Kong cinema? Like what would you because mm. that's like completely different because I'm I I only know Jia Jia. How do you pronounce it? Jia Jianke. Yeah. Jia Jianke is the only only independent um, director that I know from China. But um, I'm trying to think of like all the other movies or Chinese movies that I know of, and they're all like from Hong Kong, from Wang Kar Wai to uh, like the Kong, uh, Bruce Lee's films. Yeah. Um, and would you consider them because they're so low budget, particularly Bruce Lee's? Um, or like um, kung fu film in general, mm-hmm. would that be considered independent cinema because it's so low budget or at least seemingly low budget? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting question because I mean, when we are, when we initially set out to do this podcast, we were mm. attempting to kind of just focus on the mainland Chinese independent mm-hmm. documentary movement. Oh, yeah, sorry. Was- <laughs> no, no. But I mean, no, no, I mean, I, that, w- that was really a very interesting question that Definitely. we need to think about. So to the point about um, Bruce Lee, so he mm. was actually coming from a studio background. Mm. Oh, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the studio name right now, but he, but he yeah. was signed um, as a studio star, I believe. Um, but yeah, even though it's, a, it's slightly um, coming from a more low budget film production, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know too much about that film um but i think it's coming from the studio background and yeah. um when you look at when you're looking at for example like Wong Kar Wai's films um that that's also that's more slightly more um complex i would mm-hmm. say because some of the films are initially meant to be studio products i think um mm-hmm. but i again don't me don't quote me on that but <laughs> um i think he's more going towards that independent direction just because he he has somehow established his fame mm-hmm. and he was able to finance his films um, mm-hmm. uh, better. So I think um, that aspect is interesting. Yeah, I agree. And kind of the t- on the topic of Wang Kar Wei, it's kind of nicely leading into our next point of like all tourist cinema and independent film, which is super interesting because in the case of Wang Kar Wei, he has essentially established a very distinct film making style like mm-hmm. if you see one of his film it, you will probably realize that it's one car way because it has this distinguished um you know yellowish uh, like coloring and the like close clustered like settings means on scenes those are like those are like in the realms of autora cinema but how do we mm-hmm. negotiate that with independent film like ziwei said because if we say independent film is not unofficial or like you no know, not necessarily um, affiliated with a studio, then Wang Kawei wouldn't be really count as independent filmmaker. Also because his later career has gotten him a lot of fame that he mm-hmm. wouldn't really worry about 
um, budgeting as, as like many early, 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 like independent filmmakers that are starting their career, but also making really good stuff has to worry about. So mm -hmm. that's very interesting. And um, since we're kind of moving on to our like, you know, next uh, chapter of this podcast, I also has a quote from uh, from Victor Fan, which is the uh, really, really nice Chinese cinema scholar and uh, King's College London in an um, article on Zhejiangku and Autorist film and independent film in China. I'll read it. I'll read it. And then I'll, I'll like talk about it. It's very interesting. So uh, and I quote, he says, the appellation of which would translate as autorist cinema, was used in Chinese film criticism during the first half of the 1990s to discuss directors, including Zhang Yuan, Wang Xiaoshui, uh, Wu Wenguang, Luo Ye, and Jia Zhangke, who worked outside the state-regulated film production and distribution system, yet it was dropped completely by 1999 as these filmmakers unanimously expressed their preference to be called which is independent filmmakers. Hence, if we discuss that in autorist terms, we must understand that the idea of the cinematic auteur cannot be divorced from the meaning of being independent in both the production and distribution conditions of these films and the larger sociopolitical and cultural context of the PRC since 1989, end quote. And I think what's interesting is he kind of proposed this idea of linking independent film and autorist cinema in the Chinese context, which I I largely agree. I think it's um, like, I think, it, yeah, I largely agree. And I think it really kind of captured the the rise of the sixth generation and also the, you know, Ziwei mentioned new documentary movement where a lot of these filmmakers are constantly producing films and con like gradually getting their um, reputation established and they will gain the both the title of autorist filmmaker and, and and then independent filmmaker at the same time so I think in the Chinese contact it's kind of rather hard to distinguish or separate the two in my opinion but yeah so yeah I think that idea of the entanglement between independent and autorist is interesting, but also under a lot of questioning as well, I would mm. say, because um, for example, when you are only considering independent film in terms of autorist filmmakers, you're um, excluding a lot of more um, amateurish um, mm. production. And for example, like coming from the ethnic minority, from the, um, um, or other groups um, that are being left out or unable to assimilate or um, enter that, that kind of more autorist and more artistic mm -hmm. realm. For example, when you look at um, TikTok video, is that some yeah. sort of um, amateur video production and can it be considered as an independent cinema? And for example, I remember um, when a few weeks ago we were talking about um, Asian video culture in that anthology and there was a um, a chapter on uh, Miao, ethnic and an yeah. ethnic minority group, um, who were doing their own kind of documentary, uh, documenting of their um, ethnic background or ethnic rituals, right? Um, is that some sort of independent film? And because they are apparently they are not um, autorist and artistic in any sense, because they are just documenting their um, rituals and their day to day daily lives, and they may even be official because they are those Miao. Mm. Um, um, governors themselves, they are trying to um, document and um, broadcasting their own, um, broadcasting their, their lives to the, mm -hmm. to the people. So I think, again, um, returning back to our questions, those binaries and those uh, boundaries are always in, under questions and being scrutinized. Absolutely. And to, to people who don't know, Miao is a ethnic uh, minority in China under the 55 ethnic minorities. That's, um, yeah, that's in the central and south China. But yeah, uh, context. <laughs> but yeah, I think 
I genuinely don't think we're gonna reach a conclusion today that we're gonna、mm. say how do like this and this and this are the criteria that we can define Chinese independent film and this and this and this in the American context. I genuinely don't think we can reach that conclusion anytime soon,、um, both in this podcast and also in academia and the film industry itself, because people are always constantly kind of trying to challenge that, but also expand that. Like Ziwei said, like. The recent video,、uh, the recent video practices on like digital platforms, it's one of the probably the biggest factor I think complicating this. And you know, we also kind of talk about that in our class too. Like, how do you define a lot of like weidianying, like the microfilms that people are making, even like students or like extremely amateur, like people who had never really like studied filmmaking、um, before, that are just posting them and making them online. Like those, I think will also be considered independent film, but that's a very different definition of independent film than the one that Jia Zhangke or Bigun,、uh, all the sixth generation or later, like more famous or internationally recognized directors, are doing. Yeah, I think two different realms. Yeah.、Um, It's like right when you slap a name on it, you're automatically going to exclude someone or something. Exactly. 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 The more we try, the more we try to define it, the more exclusionary we become. Even though we're trying to like expand it or complicate it. Absolutely.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think what's also kind of interesting, but also challenging in the discussion of independent film, is that when we are, you know, coining—not coining, I guess—but like when we're saying this term, independent film, we're already like putting it. We're already institutionalizing it.、Mm-hmm. Like even in the U.S., like when you think of independent film, it's like if you ask someone who's not a media studies major or not a filmmaker on the street, they will be like, "Oh, I probably seen like Lady Birds because it was it was nominated for an Oscar like three years ago," and they were like, "That's an indie film." But however, that's also from you know one of the biggest indie studios that probably wouldn't be considered an indie studio anymore. A two four, right? That's like huge, and I wouldn't say huge budget, not like Marvel-like budget, but it, it is still like a bigger budget than a lot of the grassroots filmmakers in the U.S. Like there are grassroots filmmakers in every single country, and how do we really, you know, approach their films and their products、um, under this big umbrella that's already like institutionalized independent film? So that's my biggest. Question and concerns, I guess, in this discussion.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also like being recognized by the Academy Awards,、mm. um, and also, for example, going to the international film circuits. Like,、um, I don't know if Lady Bird has won like any、um, big awards, but、um, definitely, I, I I can probably、um, name a few.、Um, Going to to Cannes or going to Venus or going、Mm-mm. to Berlin, those international film circuits and being recognized there isn't isn't that a form of being institutionalized and、mm-hmm. yeah and how do we properly define、um, independent film or European art cinema and、um, other kinds of more micro budget、um, grassroots practices. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah, at least in the recent, I would say, recent years, ten years, maybe ten, fifteen, independent films are kind of becoming a branch of main, mainstream where people do pursue it. Like, you know, big budget film companies do pursue it because it brings them capital, it brings them money from a different、uh, perspective and different route than how they do in box office for those blockbusters. But they do bring.、Um, Both capitals and reputations, which are two things that studio now really value, so it's super interesting. And I was gonna <laughs> propose this really interesting case study of、um, I don't I, people probably know Taika Waititi who direct、uh, the Thor Ragnarok, the first Thor movie from Marvel. And I was just thinking him because it's super interesting. His he started he's a New Zealand、uh, film director. He started as not like super famous director and making like some mockumentaries and like indie quote unquote indie films.、Um, one of his films that got his attention to Marvel is called What We Do in the Shadow, and I know Daniela has seen it before, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. Like whoever hasn't seen it in our audience, the- should- yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I'm just like surprised at how much more I love the TV show, despite the fact that it doesn't have Jermaine Clement or um like yeah. any of the or Taika Waititi isn't it? They mm-hmm. like have cameos, but it's a completely different cast, and they it just works well. Okay, sorry. That's no, 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 totally. <laughs> I I watched a couple episodes of that TV show, and it's really good. Uh, highly recommend if our audience wants to watch a very light and amazing and smart film. Um, yeah, what we do in the shadows is the name. But that's kind of the film that got, you know, Marvel to notice him. And because Marvel, by by the time of, like, making Thor Ragnarok, was already a highly established, very, like, diegetically connected uh, film universe, they can explore things that are, you know, not defined in the (laughs) superhero genre, if that is a genre. But um, that's why they kind of invited Taika to direct Ragnarok because Taika kind of brought in this kind of very much his style of of humor and comedy into the film. And the film was a huge success. And just to compare the budget, like uh, Thor Ragnarok was like 180 million. And what we do in the shadows was like 1.6 million, which is completely like different and completely like that's a huge budget gap. But what interests me the most is after Ragnarok, he also uh, got an offer or deal to do Jojo Rabbit, which was nominated for Oscar like two years ago, I think. Or yeah, two years yeah. ago. Yeah. So, so that was, that was, you know, that would be called an indie film because it wasn't like a mainstream topic or stuff. And the budget compared to Ragnarok is very small. It was like 14 million. However, if you compare that to what we do in the shadows, that's like 10 times what we do in the shadows budget. So these are just a very interesting case study. I think independent directors can also, you know, do big budget films. And after what, when they do big budget film and when they get recognized, they also will get much better resources than they did mm-hmm. when they were like just start starting out. So yeah, and the, this case is also available, not available, but like applicable in the Chinese context. Jia is not, like Jia Zhangke right now is like more of a producer than making his own film. And he produces some, you know, um, that like some films that goes in the theater that makes really big money and he will also get resources from it. So it's it's a unleveled playing field. (laughs) And then like, how does that, and then, sorry. Like the meaning of independent cinema also gets complicated once um, international directors come to the U.S. Because mm. I'm thinking of uh, sorry again, uh, all I know is really like Hong Kong cinema. Thinking about um, Wong Kar Wai mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. Uh, a film in English, uh, My Blueberry Nights. Yeah, mm. and I, I feel like that movie is still considered independent. I, I, wasn't that great i just watched it like a couple of weeks ago you can say um, it <laughs> that's totally I, okay it's my least favorite and it bums me out because it's like visually uh, i feel like i'm watching a one car y movie but like i just hate everything else about it i don't yeah. hate it i just didn't like a lot of it but um that's no, it's really, the thing yeah yeah and then also thinking about um I don't know like at one point sorry I don't know where I was going with that but I just couldn't help thinking about like how you know a lot of independent um, directors end up coming to the U.S. they get their big budgets and depending mm-hmm. on whether or not that movie flops like what they have to go back to their to back to I hate that I'm using this terminology or like this visual but like going going back going back to their country with their tail between their legs like I couldn't Mm. make it in America so you know what's the project after that what does that look like what does the budget look like um you know absolutely it's so weird yeah like big in America or yeah I was thinking about like directors for example like Anli or Alfonso Cuaron right Um, right yeah and um I, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but Itu Mama Tambian. Itu Mama, or... Itu Mama Tambian. Itu Mama Tambian, yeah. That one has a really um, new new wave-ish feeling, right? Mm. And then oh, he yeah. moves on to like much, much bigger budget films like Harry mm-hmm. Potter, right? Is it, mm. I think it's 
Cuarón's film. And, oh, that's and for example, <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the first films that got that got him into the breaking into the Hollywood industry with yeah. Harry Potter and the Az- Azkaban or something, right? I think yeah, the, yeah, third the third one. The third oh, one, the yeah. Best yeah. One. yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And then Ang Lee, right? Similarly, um, he, he, of course, he's educated in the US and stuff, but he went mm-hmm. back to Taiwan to make his um, couple of first films like The Wedding Banquet mm-hmm. and um, Drink, Eat, Drink, Men, Women or something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so he's yeah. like early, slightly more independent and art house feelings of Taiwan films. And then before moving back to US to make Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is mm-hmm. like still the all, all um, the all time highest um grossing film um in foreign language in US. Definitely, right? absolutely. And like if we're talking about Unlee, then like didn't he also direct uh uh Hawk? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So he directed oh. the first Hawk, right? Yeah. So it's super oh, and interesting. That one didn't do well. No, yeah. it was terrible. <laughs> what movie did yeah, he I'm, do after that then? It's so weird when you think about it. Why why would he even take the Hulk, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't really his style. It wasn't, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not here to criticize that Lee, but that film wasn't that great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say like after the Hulk, he ended up doing Brookback Mountain, which is considered independent. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's you see, it's interesting how they jump around, mm-hmm. <laughs> or exactly. not necessarily jump around, but they explore opportunities that don't necessarily align with their own, I guess, directorial interest, but that are more, you know, on the I'm box office and blockbuster side. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I think, I think like you can't really confine or like. Uh, close in on a director and say like he has to do independent film he can do like mainstream or big big like block block post i cannot speak english but i'm gonna cut this part out let's not sorry <laughs> uh, i'll just start speaking it's i know right <laughs> uh sometimes sometimes the mandarin slips in as well <laughs> I, I remember hearing you. I say, said "do it," and then that was yeah. yes. Was like, What's going on? But I know. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. Uh, yeah. Yay! But bilingual is super fun. Uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, oh yes, like we can't really like say this director has to do independent film, right? Like they have to be able to choose. It's one of the reasons they want to go into Hollywood and to get more resources to be able to choose. But does that change anything? Does it change their intention or their, you know, autorist aura if they choose to, you know, make money for one film? And then some of them may, like, only make films that are big budget films from now on. Some of them might return to their roots or how how they started to keep making independent or, like, non-mainstream topics. But, yeah, we can't really criticize them for that, right? Mm -mm. So that's but that that whole situation does complicate the very definition of independent film absolutely as absolutely. we said so yeah yeah i mean when we think about hollywood this this industry itself we might think of it oftentimes a bit critically especially as film and media studies major mm-hmm. and as with that background but i think one great thing about hollywood is its strategy of assimilation and how it how many directors work within the studio and produce many best films ever in the film history, like Alfred Hitchcock, like Stanley mm. Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, with all that long list of names. Of course, and all male with that, with that mm-hmm. mas- very masculine style. And yeah. um, we often have to bear that in mind as well. Absolutely. So yeah, very yeah. interesting thing about, about yeah. Hollywood. And that also brought me to a very interesting point that I just thought of. How do we really negotiate the relationship between the film academia and the film industry like mm. right um, if, right if we think of Jia Zhangke he he's basically being considered in a lot of the if you study international filmmaking or international film history or if you study at least cover like part of Chinese film history you will probably run into him he will be on the syllabus like he is institutionalized in the academia but he's really not necessarily institutionalized in the Hollywood or the Western filmmaking world. Mm -hmm. But 
at the meantime, he's also kind of institutionalized in the Chinese film world as well because he has he's one of the directors that's done a lot for the film industry and the indie film industry in China in general. He started one of the earliest like uh, film festivals, indie film festival in China, and he has always been active in like voicing and also going as guests in a lot of the film festivals. So. So it's very interesting how how we define this. Like in the in the academia, he will be like, "Oh, yeah, you will study him because he's he's not mainstream. That's why we study him." But that gesture itself is institutionalizing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is very interesting. I think. I mean, one of the ironies when you think about the relationship between independent and um, institutionalization is that, for example, when Jia Zhangke he starts out making films. He was very critical of the fifth generation filmmakers, absolutely. Like Zhang Yimou, like Chen Kai Ge,、mm. with、um, those films, which are also being were very、um, recognized in the in the in the Western film market. And he wanted to make something different. That's why he had that very、um, urban, very messy, and very on the spot, realistic filmmaking tendency. And again,、mm-hmm. when you look at the films he make recently, it has been, in some ways, very. Institutionalized and being、um, conformed to that、um, international film、um, trend. So I think so. So that was kind of one of the ironies I was thinking about. And for example, I was also thinking about、um, Urban Horror, that book,、mm. um, when Erin、um, Huang talks about how Cai Mingliang's film also gets entered into the museum space and、mm. um, becoming part of that institutionalized. Space and、yeah. what happens there, for example, when film goes into the institution, goes into the museum, or goes into the international film circuit, and、absolutely. I often wonder about that. Yeah, absolutely.、Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, this whole discussion, we weren't really trying to give you guys a conclusion. You know, we're just talking and giving our different perspectives because, like this thing, independent film, you can really define it. So, but I think that's very that's very much another whole different realms of like institutionalization that people who are not inside academia will be like, no, that's not mainstream at all. But people in the academia will be like, yeah, that's institutionalizing. So, I think it also depends on you know people's perspective and backgrounds for sure. And、um, but yeah, I would one of our last question we want to ask both. The three of us, but also like throw it out as a question for the audience: is how how when we were considering independence and when we were considering independent films, will we say independent films or being independent is a style, or will we say is it a is it a branch of film? Is it a genre? Is it like how do we how do we define it? Do we think do we think it's a style? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll 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 say this. Yes. As an American growing up as a teenager, I would have seen independent filmmaking as a style of filmmaking. But now, as、um, after studying film for like a gazillion, what feels like a gazillion years, it's only like three. <laughs>、um, It does feels like a gazillion. <laughs> yeah.、Um, I wouldn't consider it a style anymore. I would just. I don't know what to think of it I, anymore. <laughs> you guys really messed me up. I'm not gonna sleep today. <laughs> We're so sorry. Danielle is our guest today. <laughs>、uh, yeah, I, I mean, was... thinking about these questions always mess you up, Panda.、Uh, yeah. yeah, apparently. <laughs> okay, I just like definitively, definitively don't necessarily see it as a style anymore, but as something that is read differently across the globe. <laughs> You know what we should call it? We should call it post style. I'm just making a joke with the po- <laughs> with our reading. Post cinema love and a post style. Absolutely, <laughs> that's the conclusion. Is、yeah. <laughs> post style and post cinema? That's independent film. No, that's <laughs> definitely not what that is.、Yeah. But I was kind of thinking back to the concept of the third cinema because I was teaching,、mm. doing teaching assistant for.、Mm. for History of international cinema, and、um, we, one week we were talking about third cinema, and I was revisiting the definition of it aloud. And、um, I think it is interesting to think about independent in relation to third cinema, and perhaps how we can 
you know, just maybe keep the definitions open, right? Because mm. I, as this, our episode has been um, telling the, you know, suggest, we, we can't define it. Just, we, we can't find an adequate definition for independence in land, uh, yeah. especially thinking about the relationship of independent to autoris, um, to amateur, to uh, commercial, to institution. These are all mm -hmm. just questions I'm always thinking about. So maybe we can just have that third cinema's idea in mind, like keeping it as an unfinished product, keeping it as an unfinished ideal and make it open, right? Um, maybe that's how we should think about yeah. cinema. I think absolutely. Hey, hey everyone, this is Laura. Um, I wasn't in this episode, obviously, but I'm here to do our regular end-of-episode segment called uh, okay, Hang on, don't, don't play the theme though, because we really do need to talk about Kevin, okay? So, last episode, we called Kevin to check and see if he's seen Twilight yet. He doesn't answer, so we leave a voicemail. Nobody hears from him all week, and now I have this new voicemail from Kevin on my phone, and... Uh, okay, just listen, okay? Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, Laura, how's it going? Um, whew, sorry, I'm out of breath. Weird, weird stuff going on. Anyway, um, but I'm just returning the call. Um, sorry, I, I have not watched Twilight yet. I know, I'm, I'm assuming you're asking for the podcast, but... um. Sorry, I'm telling you, ever since we started this thing, there's been some weird stuff going on. I don't, I don't, but, excuse me, one sec. What are you, what are you doing here? What? Hey, hey! Um, so yeah, I don't know what that was. I'm getting worried, starting to think this bit may have gone too far. Okay, so if you see Kevin, even before you ask him if he's seen Twilight yet, maybe just, like, make sure he's okay. Uh... You know, check in, and then you can ask him if he's seen it yet, because really, what's taking so long? That's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. And don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really helps people find the show. Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsey, Sebastian Wurzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, and Julia Rose Camus. Thanks again to our hosts this week, Anne, Ziwei, and Daniela. Anne also edited this week's episode. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chiel, and our logo was created by Julia. <laughs>